We're starting a new series this morning, and the new series is called Naturally Supernatural. So this is a series that I've been really excited to, uh, to, to, to get into. Um, in this series, we're going to talk about encountering uh, God's presence on a regular, regular basis. They're working back there to get the, my PowerPoints ready to, ready to go. Um, but uh, wh- why, why do this series at this point in time? Uh, the reason why is because of the name of Christ that's given to us, Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. And so one of the things that we think about uh, when we think about Christmas is the opportunity to live in the continuous presence of God. And so over the course of the next five weeks, this week and the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about what, what does that mean for us to continuously encounter the presence of God as a lifestyle. This morning, I want to begin by talking about what does it mean to experience the fullness of Christ and so that's what we want to dig into uh, this morning. Now, as I often do when we start a new series, I want to start with the big picture. And the big picture is that Jesus Christ today is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is seated in glory. Now, we don't say that he's there, like, literally at the right hand of God the Father. That is a figure of speech that is designed to show us the authority that Jesus has over the entire universe. So this morning, as we talk about naturally supernatural, we want to talk about Jesus filling the entire universe. Now, to begin with, I want to take you back about 20 years ago. Cindy and I were at a marriage conference. Uh, I believe it was at the White House Theater in Branson. It was big. Whatever theater it was, it was big. And when we sat down, the, uh, the fog from the fog machine was still in the auditorium. Uh, they had a big concert the night before. They had stage fog, and it was still there the next day when we came. And so the fog was all over the place. You could see it in the canned lights. You could see it up in the rafters. You, it, was, it filled the entire place. Not a lot of it, but enough so that it was very, very visible. Now, that's a type of filling where a substance fills a physical place. I knew a professor who took his students down to Cairo, Egypt, and they encountered a sandstorm. And uh, the storm rolled in across the city like a wall cloud. And once the sandstorm was was fully uh, enveloping the city, it got everywhere. It got everywhere. Um, It filled the space outside. It filled the buildings on the inside. The students said it was in their backpacks. It was in the beds that they slept in, it was in their nostrils, it was in their mouths. You could not escape the presence of the sand from the sandstorm. Now those are two negative illustrations about fullness. But on the positive side, the presence of the risen Christ fills the entire universe. And that's what I wanna explore this morning as we move into the series. So what I want to do first is I want to show Jesus' position uh, in the universe, and Jesus sustains a comprehensive ministry of fullness that impacts us very deeply. What we're going to do as we explore this is think about this like a funnel, the broadest possible fullness that Jesus provides right down to the narrowest possible fullness. But we begin with Jesus' broadest fullness, which is his fullness in the universe, Ephesians 4.10. And the same one who descended 
is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Who's the one who descended? Obviously, it's Jesus. Now, the way Jesus descended was a twofold descent. He descended, first of all, in his incarnation. I just want, want you to kind of think about this amazing concept of Jesus. The moment before he was incarnated was worshipped by the angels. Jesus commanded those angels to do what he wanted them to do. Those angels did everything that Jesus bid them to do. He was entirely powerful as the second person of the Trinity and the Son of God. And the next moment, he takes on human flesh, and he has incarnated into a tiny fetus in the womb of an unwed mother from Nazareth. Now, that's amazing. You can't go any farther than Almighty God to microscopic human fetus. That is an astonishing descent. In some ways, uh, think about you if you wanted to save the ants becoming ant larvae in order to save the ants. Like, why would you do that? They're ants. They're small. They're insignificant. Or you saying, I'm going to become a tadpole in order to save the frogs. Like, why would you do that to save the frogs? They're so insignificant. But the jump that Jesus makes from infinite God to microscopic human fetus is a bigger jump because you're going from infinite to finite. We, we can't even conceive how far Jesus has emptied himself in order to do that. His descent doesn't stop there. Not only do the people who he created reject him, but they kill him, and he descends into a tomb at his death. And there they leave him to rot in darkness, or so they thought. And then everything changes. Three days later, resurrection life surges into the body of Jesus. He sits up. He stands up on resurrection legs. He walks out of that tomb into newness of life. And 40 days later, he ascends into heaven. And now his ministry of fullness is about to begin. He ascends into heaven, and when he arrives in heaven, Philippians 2.9 takes place. Therefore, God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. At the same time, Matthew or Daniel 7.14 takes place. I saw one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. That would be a re reference to Jesus' ascension in the clouds to heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, which would be God the Father, and was led into his presence, and Jesus was given dominion and glory and kingship. So Jesus rises, and now his ministry of fullness is, is about to begin. And it's at that point, it's at that point that according to Jesus, Ephesians 4.10, Jesus fills all things with himself. Now let's think about his filling of all things. That filling in part is a spatial filling. Jesus fills all space with himself. The presence of Jesus, for instance, is in your kitchen, in your home. The presence of Jesus is in your car when you drive to work. The presence of Jesus is in the most dilapidated house in the city of Bartlesville. The presence of Jesus is in the most opulently decorated penthouse 
in Manhattan. The presence of Jesus fills our solar system. The presence of Jesus is in the Milky Way galaxy, in the Andromeda galaxy. The presence of Jesus fills the galaxy cluster that our galaxy is in. The presence of Jesus fills every place in the entire universe. He descends into humility, into humanity and humility, and then he rises, receives the name above every other name, and he fills the entire universe with his presence. It is a spatial filling. It's also a relational filling because Jesus not only fills the universe spatially, he fills it relationally. He comes to love, to draw, and to save. I think about this relational filling when I think about what we did in Cuba back in, I think it was 2008. We went into the Cuban equivalent of a crack house. And uh, one of the people in our, on our team, had, our Cuban team, had gotten saved out of this particular house, and he took us into the house, and we, we were there late in the afternoon. Everybody's lying on the floor, high, intoxicated. And we went into that crack house, and we just said, hey, God, God loves you. Hey, God, God loves you. God, God loves you. Deus te bendiga. God, lo- God loves you. God bless you. God loves you. And, we're, we're, and you could just feel the presence of God move relationally into that place. His presence relationally moved into that place. And the next day, everybody in that, in that house was there when we shared the gospel with them. And a number of, them, num- number of them came to Christ, and we started a Celebrate Recovery chapter in Cuba as a result of that encounter. The presence of God relationally moved into, moved into that place. So what Paul is combining is two ideas in Ephesians 4.10. He fills all space spatially. He fills everything relationally as well. And this really is captured in the same way in Psalm 139. You know this psalm. Where do I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? When he uses that term flee, it's like he's saying, God, I've got to get away from you. And, and where do I go to get away from you? And the answer is Nowhere. Nowhere. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. If you wanted to get away from God and you wanted to go as far as you could possibly go, you, you went on the sea, across the Mediterranean Sea, out the Straits of Gibraltar, into the Atlantic. That was like the uttermost parts of the earth. And he's saying, look, if, even if I do that, you're there. Even there, your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. David is capturing that same idea. The presence of God fills everything. Now, we move to a narrower part of the funnel. Jesus' fullness is not just over the entire universe, but his fullness is within the church. We see this in Ephesians 1.23. And God the Father put all things under his feet, and gave Jesus as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all, or the fullness of him who fills everything with himself. So Jesus fills all of space, but now the idea is he fills the church. Now, whenever you read the church in the New Testament, you've got to ask the question, is he referring to the universal church, or is he referring to the local church? And in this case, I believe he's referring to the universal church. Local churches are great. Local churches exist in Bartlesville and Beijing and Boston and Bangkok. 
They exist all over the place. Local churches are great. But there's also this thing called the universal body of Christ. And the universal body of Christ refers to all believers of all times and all places. When I say all times, it sounds kind of confusing. But like C.S. Lewis is a part of the universal body of Christ. And C.S. Lewis continues to mentor me through his writings. I remember a time when I was uh, working at a car dealership in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I was a brand new Christian. Somebody gave me a copy of C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. So I would go to work with C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity in my pocket, and on my lunch break, I would go outside and I would read Mere Christianity, and I felt like two or three are gathered together. It's me and C.S. Lewis. As I'm reading C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, and the presence of God was there. And that's Jesus' promise, wherever two or three are gathered together in, in my name, there I am in, in, in their midst. And so that's the universal body of Christ, Jesus being present wherever the body of Christ is gathered. And the amazing thing is, is, is that you can be anywhere as the body of Christ and Jesus' presence will be there. You could be in a Navy submarine at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean meeting two believers praying and Jesus is there. He's the head of the church. You can be in a spacecraft on your way to the space station, on your way to Mars. Two believers gathered in prayer. The presence of Christ is, is, is going to be there. You could be in a college fraternity. You know, I was in a fraternity in college, and, and I will tell you some of my best early spiritual growth took place in that fraternity. The presence of God was there as my roommate and I would pray for other members of the fraternity. You can be in your conference room at work and wherever, wherever at least two believers are gathered together in Christ's name, he is, he is committed to be there and to, and to manifest his presence. We, we had a really cool experience with our, our staff um, back in, I think it was maybe early November, late October, early, early November. We gathered to pray for the church and we gathered up here. Uh, we put a group of chairs up here. Jared led us in, in worship and we just spent time talking about where has the presence of God shown up at Grace Community Church in the last couple of months. And it was really cool to hear about stories. The, the, the point is Jesus loves to fill the church with his presence. Now we move to, to a, a deeper part of the funnel. We go from universe to church. Now we go to you personally. Jesus loves to be filling you personally. Ephesians 3.17, I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge for what, for what reason? So that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. So I, I love the spatial dimensions that he mentions here. You know, breadth and length refers to horizontal dimensions. Height and depth refer to vertical dimensions. He's talking about like, like cubic space. And he's, and he's talking about like love filling a space, love filling a place. He's using that as an illustration for the fact that we can't even begin to comprehend the depth of the love of God for us. But, you know, it's possible, even though we can't understand everything, to be filled 
with the fullness of God. And here's how I liken it. I liken it to, to an expanding container. So let's imagine that we have a pitcher of water and we have a one-quart jar. When you fill that one-quart jar with one quart of water, what do you have? A full jar. But what happens if you have an infinitely expanding jar and you fill the jar with a quart of water and it expands to two quarts? Well, now you can put more water in. You put another quart of water now, and then it expands to four quarts, then it, and then 16, and then 32, and then 64, then 128. I want to keep doubling. But it's an infinitely expanding volume. And what Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 3 is the idea that we might continuously encounter the fullness of God personally. He fills all of space, he fills the church. But is it possible that he could fill you personally so that you're filled with the fullness of God? He has fullness. What he wants to do is pour that fullness into you so that you encounter that fullness on a continuous basis. <clears throat> Let me um, then move to, to the narrowest part of the funnel. This is Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, and the narrowest expression of fullness is your character. Here's what he says. Jesus gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all reach the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to a measure of the maturity of the what? The fullness that's in Christ. We've gone from fullness of the universe fullness of the church, fullness of you personally, now we're going to a fullness of character. So when I come to Christ, I may encounter the fullness of God, but does my character fully reflect the fullness of God yet? No, I'm a new believer. So how do I learn how to grow in the fullness in my character? It takes discipleship. It takes coaching. It takes a mentor coaching somebody else. It takes a disciple maker discipling somebody else. It takes a spiritual coach coaching somebody else. We don't, we don't naturally manifest those character qualities unless somebody disciples us, like Paul talks about in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. So uh, two quick stories. Uh, my son calls me uh, a couple of weeks ago. He says, he says uh, he and his wife are, are learning how to uh, be foster parents. And he says, um, he says, Dad, he said, I just got to tell you, this is the way to change the world. You change the world one person at a time by fostering kids who need parents. I'm excited. I'm really excited about doing this. I said, Caleb, that's, that's an incredible vision. I love it. I love it. And then he says, you know, mom has sort of been our inspiration in this. I said, Really? tell me. He said, you know, when mom started to celebrate recovery and she manifested her character change, you know, she grew spiritually and that, that spiritual growth changed our family. And so what we've observed in her has motivated us to make a difference in this next generation. You see, see how character begins to shift and change as you are discipled, as somebody pours into your life. I came to Christ when I, was in, when I was in high school. 
I had a, a mentor who discipled me in college. Man, I am so glad for what he did because he trained me in areas of character so that my character reflected the fullness of who, who Jesus is. Let me introduce you to a couple that um, were instrumental in my life in high school. This is Wynn and Bob Couchman. That picture was taken when they were in their late 80s. Uh, but when they were in their 40s, let me tell you, they were all in about discipling high school students. That house is not their exact house, but it's a house uh, in their neighborhood that I was able to pull off, pull off the internet. And, and their house was about that size. So on a Saturday night, we would pull up and all of their living room furniture had been taken out of the house and put in the front yard. Why? Because a hundred kids packed out their living room. Well, guess what? In the winter, it snows. And that didn't matter. They pulled out their furniture. They put their furniture in the snow. So 100 kids could pack out their house. Now, what did we all learn from them when we pulled up and it had snowed 15 inches and all of the living, living room furniture is in the front yard? What did we learn from them? What we learned was people are more important than things. We were discipled. We were mentored by a gifted couple who taught us something important about the Christian life so that our character could reflect more of the fullness of, of Christ. So we go from Jesus filling the universe to Jesus filling the church to Jesus filling us relationally to Jesus filling our character personally. And the idea that Paul is trying to get across is this, because Jesus fills all space with himself and because we're his children, we have the potential to be conduits of that love, conveying the supernatural life of God to other people. He fills everything. And we who know him can be conduits of that fullness. We can encounter that fullness and then be conduits of that fullness to other people. The question is, how do we start doing that? How do we start doing that? Well, that leads us to our response. How do you respond to the God who pours out fullness? Well, you move toward fullness. And so the verse that is well known to all of us is Ephesians 5.18. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled, be, be filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now let's just pick apart this verse just for a second. I want you to notice, first of all, this is a negative command. Start with a negative command. Don't be drunk with wine. Substance abuse was a huge problem in the ancient world, as it also is today. Back then, the worldview that prevailed was polytheism. They believed in many gods. And one of the gods they embraced was the god of wine. We're talking, we're talking Bacchus, we're talking Dionysius. And the idea was that if you got drunk with, the, with, the, with wine then the god or the goddess of wine would inhabit you and you would encounter the gods. Part of this experience included a variety of degraded sexual acts. These were the kind of acts that were not gratifying, but the kind of acts that were degrading, and the next day you would go, what did I do? Ugh. It was, these were things that were shame-inducing kinds of things, things that led to reckless actions, Paul says, in Ephesians 5.18. And what Paul, Paul is saying is, don't get drunk with wine. Don't be involved in the, the abuse of a substance or an action which will degrade your character. 
And that's not the only kind of action that could degrade your character. Uh, substance abuse. It could be addiction to pornography. It could be, it could be something that's kind of a, a neutral thing. It's obsessive preoccupation with video games or obsessive preoccupation with entertainment. Anything that becomes a God substitute becomes this kind of thing which leads toward reckless actions. Paul says, look, what I want you to do is I want you to stop one action and I want you to pick up another action. And that action is an action to be filled with the Spirit. So this is an interesting command because, first of all, it is a command. So this is something that, that he wants us to do. And I think it's important to recognize that this is one of the primary commands in the Bible. In other words, if you learn how to obey this command, a lot of the other commands are going to be a whole lot easier because you're going to have the power to carry those commands out. It's a command. Something we need to take seriously. Notice that it's also a command in the present tense. And the idea here is that this is something that I don't just do one time. I do it many times. I do it more than once a year. I do it more than once a month. I do it more than once a week. I probably am doing it every day, multiple times a day. The grammar of this command suggests that this is something that I do repeatedly throughout my given day. <clears throat> Receiving the, uh, the fullness of the Spirit <clears throat> is going to include a whole range of behaviors. It's, it's walking in open transparency before God. Maybe the filling of the Spirit is like I'm, I'm quickly confessing sin when I'm conscious of it. Or maybe it's like I'm praying without ceasing all day long as I'm fellowshipping with God. Maybe it's I'm studying and meditating on God's Word. I read God's Word in the morning, but I'm, I'm meditating on it during the day. All of that is what is wrapped up in the repeated filling of the Spirit. Let me say something else about the command. It's also a passive command. He's not saying, now, now you've got to get yourself filled up with the Spirit now. You do it. Go ahead and make it happen. Interestingly, it's a passive command in the original language. What that means is that the Spirit is always moving. He's always working. He's always flowing. And your role is to lift up the sail of faith and catch what he's doing in the moment and move in that direction and go in that direction. I'll give you an example. This is a 47-foot catamaran. And three years ago, my dad and I sailed a catamaran like this in the British Virgin Islands for a week. We had a lot of people on that boat. It was really fun. My dad and I kind of grew up sailing. This is our thing. I've, I've enjoyed doing this with him for many years. And the thing about the British Virgin Islands is that the wind is always flowing steadily in the same direction. It's always pretty much going from west to east. That boat weighs 40,000 pounds. If I want to get that boat going, I can't do it. I can't jump in the water and go, okay, I'm going to push the boat by swimming. Can't do it. 40,000 pounds. But what I can do is I can, I can lift up the mainsail, I can lift up the Genoa sail, and I can, I can lift up that sail and harness the pre-existing wind and go in the direction the wind allows me to go in. And that's what Paul is saying the filling of the Spirit is like. He's always working, he's always moving, he's always active in your life, whether you know it or not. So what I gotta do is I gotta raise up the sail of faith and say, Spirit, I, I wanna go where you lead me. It may be something that happens at work. Maybe something that happens at home. Maybe something is happening that I need to plan for. 
but I'm, I'm always going in the direction the Spirit is leading me in during my specific day. One more thing about this command that's important to know is it's a plural command. Again, uh, America, uh, uh, American English does not have, have this uh, except in the southern statement, you all. So we don't have plural commands unless you're from Oklahoma or Texas where you go, all y'all need to do this. If, if you're really emphatic, it's all y'all. If you're from the, from the East Coast, it's youth, youth guys. Youth guys need to do this. You guys, these guys need to make this happen. This is a plural command. And it's important that this is a, a plural command because what, what it means is if you are in the body of Christ, encountering the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ, <clears throat> it's, it's the idea that I am going to do this in community. I'm going to have a lot easier time encountering the fullness of the Spirit if I'm in community. Amen. Because when I'm in community, I'm seeing what the Spirit is doing in, in your life and in, in your life. I'm seeing the Spirit flow in this situation and that situation. And I'm, I'm getting an idea about how the Spirit might want to be working in my situation. And so it's really important for us to practice the filling of the Spirit um, in the context of community. Now, let me just kind of sum up the, the heart of this for you. Um, many times I will be with my grandchildren and I will have one of those grandparent moments where I'm suddenly filled with love for a particular grandchild. I might be playing cars and trucks on the floor. I might be playing Legos. I might be doing some artistic things. And like I'm, all of a sudden I think, oh man, this is so fun. I love being a grandfather. So I'll pick up that little child and I'll say, Ray Oliver, I love you so much. You're awesome. Or I'll say, Ella Eastland, I love you so much. I love it. You're such a great artist. And when they were young, they would smile. They're a little bit older now, so they'll roll their eyes a little bit at me. You know, that's okay. That's okay. But what's happening in that moment? I am filled with a sense of love for my grandchildren. Now, you're going to go throughout your day, and there will be times where if you begin to notice it, you will be filled with a sense of love for the triune God who has brought you into connection with himself. When you encounter that, that joyful sense of love, what you know happened in that moment is you encounter the fullness of the Spirit. Sometimes it's an emotional thing. Sometimes it's an intellectual thing where you notice, what in the world? That is not a coincidence. God was so involved in that moment. You're not feeling anything necessarily, but you're recognizing a God moment. It's important to know that when those moments happen, you are encountering the fullness of the Spirit. So with that in mind, let's, let's take a look at, again, at, at the, the big idea. Because Jesus fills all, fills all space with himself, and because we're his children, we have the potential to be conduits of that love and exhibit the supernatural life of God. So let's look at some takeaways. How to walk in fullness. First of all, I want to encourage you to, to start with your imagination. I know I talk about this a lot at Grace, but Jesus invites us to use our imagination in our relationship with him. We know that because of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father who is in heaven. Now remember, there's two images there 
that are very visual images. One image is the image of a father. Okay, so if I'm in prayer, I am to visualize a God who loves unconditionally. I'm to visualize a God who is unconditionally patient, unconditionally gracious, unconditionally kind. I'm to visualize that about God. Why do we need that? Because it's so easy to visualize the opposite. To visualize a God who says, what, you screwed up again? And I gotta put up with this? Is this gonna be, is, is it gonna be like this all week? It's easy to visualize that about God because we, we tend to think about God the way we think about our parents or our own shame-based thoughts. Jesus invites us to visualize a God who loves us unconditionally. And the other image that's in the Lord's Prayer is the word heaven. We have it in the singular. In the Greek, it's in the plural. And in the plural, what it means is not that God is way out there in, the he in, in heaven somewhere that I can't even know where it is, but he's in the heavens around us. He's in the spiritual space that we occupy. Amen. So to pray the first line of the Lord's Prayer is to use two very vivid images that say, my Father, who unconditionally loves me, thank you that you are all around me. You're present right here. Thank you, I welcome that presence. That's what it means to pray the first line of the Lord's Prayer. But that presupposes that you have a vivid imagination, the kind that Jesus taught us to have when he taught us how to pray. So start with your imagination about the presence of, of Jesus. Can you visualize him in the car next to you? Can you visualize him in the space next to you as you're seating at your desk? It's not easy unless you begin to practice that discipline of using your imagination to visualize the presence of Jesus all around you. You start with your imagination, and then you, you continue with a growing sense of awareness. He is infinitely present. You can start to become aware of that presence. Now, I'm gonna talk a lot about this in coming weeks, but I, I want you to think about it this way. Um, many, many years ago when our kids were little, I can remember lying in my bed in the middle of the night, and I'm thinking, someone is looking at me. <laughs> I open my eyes, and it's my daughter. Daddy, I'm thirsty. Daddy, I'm scared. So how did I know that there was somebody looking at me while I was still asleep? I don't know. Maybe because as a parent, I've become aware of the presence of my children. Sometimes uh, these days, you know, I will be asleep and I will notice something staring at me. I'm sound asleep. I'm thinking, okay, something is, something is staring at me. I look over and it's our dog, Sadie. And it's three o'clock in the morning and Sadie's, Sadie's like this. She knows not to paw at the bed. She knows not to do that. She can do that to Cindy, but not to me. She, she just looks at me. How, I don't know, how did I know that she was there looking at me? Well, I've learned to become aware of the presence of the dog. You can learn to become aware of the presence of Jesus in your life on a given day. Now, I will tell you, it takes practice. There is a spiritual discipline of learning to encounter the presence, the spiritual presence of Jesus in your life, but there is a way to learn how to do that, and that's part of what this series is going to be about, learning how to discern and live in that presence. And then finally, 
Final takeaway is expect your sense of fullness to grow. Expect your sense of fullness to grow. Jesus loves being able to pour out fullness into your life. He is the God who is full eternally. And he loves being able to pour that fullness out into your life. He loves being able to do that. But I added in here, even in times of God's hiddenness, because there will be times where God seems hidden to you. God allowed himself to be hidden to Jesus. He was on the cross. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If God allowed his son to encounter the hiddenness of God, then God will sometimes allow you to experience his hiddenness. Many people encounter the hiddenness of God and they go, I've been praying. My prayers like bounce up to the ceiling and bounce right back down. I don't see God. I don't experience God. I don't encounter God. What's going on? And what I want to say is that God's hiddenness is a sign of his love. And the reason why is because when God allows himself to be hidden to you, you have to confront yourself and ask ask yourself the question, how much do I really want God? How much do I want him? Do I want him just a little bit? Do I want him enough to persevere in prayer? Do I want him enough to prevail in persevering prayer over a long time? Do I want God so much that I will pray something for five years before it's answered? Do I want something that I'll pray for it so much I'll pray for it 25 years before it's answered? So God's hiddenness sometimes is a wake-up call to us where we say to ourselves, how much do I want God? Remember one time early on in in our marriage, I got really busy. And one time Cindy said to me, she says, Rod, I feel like I'm pursuing you, but you're not really pursuing me. And I want to feel pursued by you. I want to feel pursued. And I love it that she loved me enough to say that because I thought, wow, yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to be all selfish. Yeah, you got to pursue me, but I don't, I don't really have to do that for you. That's not how I want to be. And I think God knows if, if we will desire pursuit of him, it's good for us. And so expect your sense of fullness to grow, even through periodic times where you're encountering the hiddenness of God. So I, I hope, hope you get the, this wonderful picture that we're given in Ephesians. Jesus' fullness extends to the entire universe. His, extend, his fullness goes then to the church. His fullness then goes to you. Then his fullness gets expressed in your character. And the idea is that because Jesus fills all things, he wants to fill you so that you will be a conduit of that fullness to others. What a great privilege we have to enjoy the supernatural power of God.